The Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by GoToWebinar, web events and online meetings made easy. Visit GoToWebinar.com and start your free 30-day trial today. Hello and welcome to the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Dan Rome. He is the author of the international bestseller, The Back of the Napkin, Solving Problems and Selling Ideas with Pictures. Uh, Last year, I think it was, Business Week and Fast Company both called it the best innovation book of the year. It uh, certainly showed up in Amazon and the other places that uh, that track selling books very high, probably a top 10 business book, uh, has been uh, translated into 25 languages and is a bestseller in Japan, South Korea, and China, which I think is interesting. In fact, I'm going to ask Dan about, about that, uh, that particular uh, note. So, Dan, thanks for joining us. Hey, John, my pleasure. Thank you. Hey, um, I, have, I have to uh, admit something here publicly. It's going to be a little, you know, sometimes this admission, you know, and, and asking for forgiveness, you know, the, that's part of the healing process. Um, your, your publisher actually sent me uh, the back of the napkin, um, whenever that was, two years ago. Is that right? Um, and I looked at it. Uh, so I, I like you, I'm sure I, I get three books a day. And so sometimes you give a book five seconds <laughs> to decide. And I thought, oh, great. Another book about telling stories with pictures. Um, and I kind of set it aside. And uh, then I kept seeing uh, lots of great press. It was showing up everywhere. And I was like, I need to take a second look at this book. And certainly uh, it, with my second look, uh, the book is much is about much, much more than that. And I think, uh, um, you know, the revolutionary approach is, is this idea of solving problems. So uh, hopefully we can get into that today. And of course, we're going to talk about your new book, Unfolding the Napkin, which um, help me understand, uh, is this the workbook that should that, that, that needs to go with the, the first book, or how do they differ? Well, it is the workbook, but you, you know, John, as, as an author yourself, you understand how the marketing of these things work. We're not, we're not allowed to call it a workbook, ah, yes. because uh, workbooks, you see, the problem is workbooks have a tendency not to sell in the way that publishers <laughs> like them to sell. Yeah. So, so I'm not giving anything away. It's kind of a standing joke. Yeah. It is, in fact, the accompanying workbook to the back of the napkin. But at the same time, it's really more than that, because in the two years that uh, have, have passed since I wrote the original back of the napkin, the really remarkable thing that's happened has been the number of opportunities that have been presented to me to share these ideas literally in, in 28 states in the, last, uh, in the last two years. So all over the place with all kinds of different uh, industries and all kinds of different crowds. And the best thing has been not to hear my own voice talking again to another group, but to be able to get the feedback from that broad a group and understand what it is that was in the back of the napkin that really, really was hitting home, and to take those points and push those even further. So it's, it's one of those things, it's like, you know, Ginsu carving knives, but wait, there's more. <laughs> in that right, if, right. If, if you are someone who appreciated... Uh, the thoughts, the concept, and I'd like to think some of the rigor, some of the business-oriented uh, rigor towards visual problem-solving that was in the back of the napkin, I know that uh, you will find unfolding the napkin to be additionally powerful because it takes the same central core ideas, the same tools and rules of why visual problem-solving works, but it proposes them and presents them 
through, I think it's something like 63 different do-it-yourself exercises, which are in a highly structured framework from beginning to end. And the way I think about it is I like to, to imagine that the workbook unfolding the napkin really takes someone from saying, you know, I can't draw, I can't draw, to being able to say, hey, look, here's the picture I drew that's going to save the world. And to do that, the way that unfolding the napkin is structured, it says a four-day workshop. And the book is broken up into four sections, and those mirror uh, the fundamental steps of what I call the visual problem-solving process. There's Day one is about learning to look better at the world around us. Day two is about learning to see better the patterns that are in the problems that we're looking at. Day number three is about imagining, using our mind's eye, to explore those patterns and come up with alternative and, and hopefully innovative and breakthrough. And then day number four is about showing, which is how, how we're going to convey those ideas to someone else so they'll see them too. Well, you, you just took my entire, all my questions from me. You just gave me the whole outline of the book. We were going to go well, through Well, there we it. go. <laughs> Actually, um, let me back up a little bit. Um, the, here's, a, here's a question I'm sure you get all the time. I'm sure you've got a great answer for it, but I would love to hear that answer. Um, I am a visual learner. I always like to use this example of my wife and I. Um, you know, I'm the person that rips open the box. Where's the quick start guide? Okay, yeah, plug this thingy into that thingy, done. Um, you know, or I pull out the map. You know, a map means everything to me. <laughs> a page of instructions, no thanks. But my wife's just the opposite. Um, she, a map is Chinese to her. Give me a list of turn-by-turn directions. So uh, is that something that's just inherent? Some people are, some people aren't. Um, or is, are you tapping into something saying, hey, everybody can use this if it's done right? Everybody can use this if they do it right. And the fact is, we don't even have to worry about doing it right. This, I, the, the typical reaction I get from business people, and it's, it's a very specific spectrum, and I could even give you the numbers on how typical audiences break down. I won't bore you with that now, but suffice it to say, there's usually about a quarter to a third of the people in any environment that I walk into, any meeting or presentation, who say, Dan, you know, this sounds great, but it's not for me. I'm not visual. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, okay, I don't buy that. Of course you're visual. I mean, and I set the bar extremely low. If you're visual enough to find your way into the room and find a place to sit down without falling down, you are visual enough. And, and this even applies to people who are vision impaired, and this even applies to people who are flat out blind. The visual processing of information is, takes up such an enormous part of our total mental capacity that what I, from a statistical perspective, pure neurobiological numbers, of all of the sensory neurons that are in our brain that are processing incoming sensory information. So effectively, every neuron we have, which is telling us about the world around us, 75% of those neurons are focused on vision. So that leaves only 25% to be focused on hearing and taste and touch and the sense of balance and everything else. Vision is fundamentally what we are about. And uh, a couple of other just sort of statistical anecdotes, some pretty recent studies, psychoanalytic cognitive studies, have shown that it's beginning to appear that in about the first four months of an infant's life, almost all of the rapid brain development is taking place in the areas that are focused on vision and on movement. And it, it, it really makes it clear to us, being able to see what are the things in front of us and visually navigate our way through them is fundamentally the way that we learn about the world around us. All of the other senses are important as well, but vision is so critical. And the thing that I'm really trying to emphasize through all of the tools and rules and my, and my own workshops and the books 
is that this isn't about drawing. Drawing is one aspect of it, but being able to draw well has absolutely nothing to do with being a good visual problem solver. What visual problem solving means, really, is, is understanding and taking advantage of how our mind processes the visual world around us and learning lessons from that that we can apply to every type of problem solving that we do. Because quite frankly, it is a marvelous and miraculous system that is staggering in its complexity. And when we begin to understand how our brain breaks the world around us into discrete visual components, we have got an enormous leg up on how we can go about breaking down any problem into those corresponding pieces and address them essentially one by one. Well, let me stop you there because I think a lot of people have absolutely no issues with the idea of communicating an idea more simply or, uh, you know, or, or better uh, by, by the use of, of pictures. But I think a lot of people probably struggle with this idea of approaching a problem in this manner. And I wonder if you could, and hopefully that you, you can share if that's been, been what you've encountered as well, but then also maybe share, you know, a couple steps. I mean, how do people really, you know, how, how do they get started with this approach of, of addressing a, a problem um, through, through visual images? This halftime break is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact helps small businesses and nonprofits build great customer relationships with email marketing, event marketing, and online surveys. Visit them today at constantcontact.com and sign up for your free 60-day trial. Well, there's, there's, two, there's two answers I want to give you. There's two questions embedded in what you just asked. The first is uh, many people would probably easily agree that pictures make a great way to communicate an idea. And I have no question about that, no hesitation whatsoever. And in fact, you, you really see a number of books uh, that are available that describe that phenomenon. How do you convey an idea through pictures? How do you explain a complex concept? I agree with that, absolutely. And I say, let's push it a little bit further, and this goes to problem solving. Communicating an idea with pictures is, in my estimation, only the very last step of what visual problem solving is really about. What I'm suggesting is that we have, if we are become better at looking at the world, looking at the problems, breaking them down visually, we are going to begin and see solutions emerge that would have been invisible if we had only talked about it. And I can prove that from a neuro neurobiological perspective. When we are talking about an idea, when you and I are simply talking about it, we are typically occupying certain processing centers in our brain, and that's great. And that's more often than not what happens in a typical education or a typical uh, business meeting. A lot of talking, a lot of ideas, and words being exchanged. Wonderful. The moment that we add a visual component to that, we suddenly open up channels in our brain's ability and desire to understand that are remarkable. And it works all, even when we are working by ourselves. So to give you an example, any problem, let's, let's open this up for a second. Any problem that we have the ability to describe or articulate at all, we have the ability to describe and articulate abundantly more clearly with the assistance and use of pictures. That is an absolute given. And it is, the sh it is a shame to me that that is not emphasized in business. Yeah, in fact, there's a about, you have a tremendous quote in your book. I, there's a few. That the, the person who can best describe the problem is the best person to solve the problem, usually. And boy, exactly. what, what a tremendous, you know, if I'm a salesperson out there thinking, <laughs> wow, you know, th that might give me a leg up. So I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I had that, that quote actually highlighted. 
Well, I know, and I'm glad you did, because I push it one step further and say the more mercenary take on that quote that says, you know, you're absolutely right, the person who describes the problem is the one who's already ready to solve it, because they're the one who see all the pieces involved. The mercenary subtext there, and there are cases and cases upon this being true, is quite literally the person who draws the best picture of the problem is the one who's going to get funded to solve it. The person who's able to create the simple visual explanation is invariably the person who is going to win the contract to solve it because they have proven through the use of their picture that they have a good grasp on what are the components of that problem, what are the nuances, what are the interactions of those pieces, and other people can then see that. And, uh, you know, whether it was, and I can just recite a whole litany of examples, whether it was the founding of Southwest Airlines with a simple sketch on the back of the napkin, uh, whether it was the invention of the MRI machine through a simple sketch on, a, on actually a, a big boy placemat in, in Philadelphia back in 1974. Dr. Uh, Lauterberg, who, who was the inventor of MRI, had his first breakthrough sketch when he was sitting at, at Bob's Big Boy. Uh, there is an economist from the 1970s named Arthur Laffer who was sitting in a bar in Washington, D.C. with two gentlemen uh, who just happened to be uh, Don Rumsfeld and, and Dick Cheney, who at that time in 74 were uh, uh, chiefs of staff for President Ford, who drew a picture of an interesting taxation model on the back of a napkin, which became the basis of Reaganomics and supply-side economics. The cases go on and on, and the reason is this. When we see a complex idea rendered through a simple picture, we understand it, and we give tremendous credence to the person's intelligence who created it, and we believe it. And I would add another quote in here, one that we've all heard a million times. It's very hackneyed, but it is absolutely true. It is neurobiologically and cognitively true. We, when we see it, we believe it. Seeing something, drawing something, makes it real. Talking about it continues to have it be abstract. When we add the component of drawing a circle or two or a stick figure, we are adding a concrete completion to the idea, and our mind perceives it that way and, quite frankly, believes what we are seeing to a greater degree than what we are simply hearing. You know, I um, I give a lot of talks and am asked frequently to, you know, maybe to give three-hour talks uh, outlining the duct tape marketing system. So this is an example. I'll give you an example <laughs> in real life, in my real life. Um, and there's a slide that I have in the middle that is, uh, it's I call it the hourglass, but it's it's my sort of visual representation of the entire system on one slide. And, and I can't tell you how often people will come up to me and say, when you showed that one slide, you know, finally marketing made sense to me. Um, and I should get rid of the other 44 slides is I think what they're also telling me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Now imagine what would happen, John. Imagine what would happen if, and I have not seen your hourglass slide. I would love to take a look. But imagine this. If you were giving your presentation and you, you opened up to that page in your, in your PowerPoint or whatever tool you're using, and it was blank. And then you said, you know, ladies and gentlemen, let, you, let me build a model for you that really boils down the essence of what my dark, duct tape marketing model is about. And then you drew it in front of them. I've, I'm going to tell you right now, there is absolutely no more powerful communication technique than describing something verbally at the same time that we are drawing it live. And the quality of our drawing is of absolute zero consequence. It does not matter how ugly it is. What matters is the fact that we are, again, uh, allowing our own mind and the mind of the people that we're sharing this idea with to to start hitting on all cylinders. And, you know, we often try to increase audiences' attention to our presentations by, you know, kind of sexing them up, by adding, like, 3D effects and 
and drop shadows and polishing the type and all this kind of stuff that we add in with the goal being of trying to, to make it a little bit more eye candy appealing. I'll tell you this, from our brain's perspective, nothing is more appealing than simple comprehension. When we get it, and get it is often driven by when we see it and it makes sense, the dopamine that's driven by our amygdala, or basically our emotional processing center that controls the chemical reactions in our brain, gets excited. And we get really thrilled when we understand. And that's, I'm guessing, what a lot of people are keying off of when they see your picture. And if you really want to have it saying, if you want magic to really happen, draw the picture in front of them. You know, they'll, you'll, be, you'll be a hit no matter what. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my uh, big whiteboard and big marker next time when I go speak. Please so um, you have described the unfolding the napkin as, as a four-day workshop. Um, however, I, I did note that you actually are offering uh, in-person two-day workshops uh, where I'm assuming uh, you put people to task here. Is that you want to tell us a little about that? Oh, yeah, and, and thank you for the opportunity to do so. I, over the last two and a half years, I've had an opportunity on about 65 different occasions to give either half-day, one-day, or two-day workshops to a really, uh, even I must say, a pretty impressive list of, of clients and organizations I've had a chance to talk to, whether it's Boeing or eBay or Microsoft, Walmart, the United States Navy, including the Chief of Naval Operations, the United States Senate. It's been a tremendous experience. And I've learned that it takes a certain amount of time for people to understand the concept and, and, and feel comfortable with it, and a little bit more time to really become comfortable with the tools. Because what we're doing, you know, in, in unfolding the napkin, I break it down as four days. In an ideal world, for someone who really wanted to understand these tools and use them, four days is what it takes. Because what we're really doing, and we're trying to do it, I'm trying to do it in four days, is compensate for, you know, 16 years of education, and I've only got a limited amount of time to do it, because at no point in most people's typical educational career were any of the tools that we're going to talk about uh, brought to life and, and kind of pushed forward on people. Visual problem solving, visual conceptualization of ideas, taking advantage of our innate ability to visually process is not something that's taught in any business school. It's not taught in any school at all. So long story short, John, in an ideal world, the workshop would last four days. But you know what? We don't really live in an ideal world. So I recognize that asking people to commit the time, it's unrealistic for most people, especially in today's corporate environment, to be able to take four days off. So what I've been able to do is do a kind of an accelerated version where we go through the entire four days in half the time. And I've, I've really been careful to do it to not say, I don't speak twice as fast. I just make sure that we hit the key points we keep in as many interactive exercises as I can, as many individual and team-based exercises, and uh, it's a powerful thing that happens. So yes, March 4th and 5th in San Francisco uh, will be my first public offering of this uh, workshop, and uh, it's been filling up. I'm very happy, so that's Great. exciting. And I, I assume the plan is to... Uh to do more of those, I, I myself would actually like to, to take that in, I believe. And uh, I'm, unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to be training a new group of duct tape marketing coaches myself in a, in a three-day workshop that, during that time period. So I, I, I hope you plan more, and, uh, and I hope I'll, I'll be able to, uh, to attend one. Um, oh, there will be many more coming. This, good, is good. The, this is the test flight of sure, the public sure. session, so there will be more. Good, good. So last really important penetrating question. What is your favorite pen? 
Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, there are two. And boy, are you asking the good questions now. The first one's accessible to everyone. And the first one is, is flat out, and I don't mean this from a marketing perspective. Gosh, but I love Sharpies. Yeah. You know, the, the fat ones. Not the big honking fat ones. Not the ones that are si- the size of, of a big magic marker. And not the tiny little ones either. But the good ones that are, you know, good to hold in your hand. Yeah. I love yeah. Sharpies. Now... One of the benefits of living in San Francisco, and this is probably true for a lot of people throughout the country, is San Francisco has a large uh, Japan town, which means we have a lot of stores that are able to sell products that are imported directly from Japan that are, are, are pretty normally difficult to find in your traditional stationery stores. If someone has access to it, pilot uh, opaque ink pens are unbelievable. I've never seen them at a traditional American uh, stationery store. They may be there. I've never found them at an office store. Mm-hmm. But at, uh, at a Japanese stationery store, they have them. And uh, they are magnificent because what they have is... Listen to me. I'm waxing poetic about a pen that no, you ask. It's, 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 an, important, ink, it's ink, an important tool. <laughs> the ink is an oil-based ink. It's not a water-based ink like most felt-tip pens. And it is just working with this thing. It's... It's like you're not even holding a pen at all. Um, you know, the analogy to driving a car is it's like you're driving the highest-end sports car. It just, you don't drive it. You kind of think where you want to go, and it goes there for you. This pen does the same thing. All so right. Well, I'm people who have access to them. As soon as we hang up, I'm, I'm getting online and going and searching for a Pilot Opaque Ink <laughs> Pen. So. You got it. Well, Dan, thanks very much. I know you're keeping busy, um, and uh, congratulations on what will be tr- surely be another successful chapter in the napkin series, and uh, I look forward to doing this again soon. Thank you, John, Thank you. and likewise to yourself. Thanks. This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast was brought to you by GoToWebinar, where you can increase your reach and have unlimited webinars for one low rate. Visit gotowebinar.com and start your free 30-day trial today.